I don't use the word microaggression because I don't think there's anything little about racism. Oh. And there's nothing little about how I feel when someone behaves with bias towards me or racism. There's nothing small about it. It's this thing that you take with you. And in the middle of the humiliation, you have to make a decision, right? Because that's what racism is. And that's what it makes you feel. It makes you feel the sense of humiliation and you haven't done anything. And in the midst of it, as an employer, as someone who's representing people, you have to make a decision as to how you respond so that it either doesn't hurt your client, it doesn't hurt your work, it doesn't hurt your position, right? As opposed to laying somebody out, which is not always the way to get somebody to hear you, right? And so that if so I'm mad at the word microaggression because it makes something that I take home with me that causes us to have high blood pressure, that causes us to suffer from anxiety when we work in these places because these small things, they're not small at all. Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo, what's good? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tu Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know, it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. As a quick reminder, on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. It feels like growing up, we've all been trained to believe that who we are authentically is unprofessional. Each week, we have a new guest join us for a very candid conversation around the conflict that they've experienced throughout their journey between professionalism and authenticity. The clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Judge Victoria Pratt. Before getting into the full conversation, let me give you a quick bio. Judge Pratt has been described as driven, innovative, and inspiring. She's actually gained national and international acclaim for her commitment to reforming the criminal justice system. During her tenure as chief judge in Newark Municipal Court in Newark, New Jersey, she spent years gaining a deep understanding of how the justice system could be delivered to court participants in a matter that increased their trust in the legal system and even change their behavior. She even has a viral TED talk titled How Judges Can Show Respect. It's been translated into 11 different languages, received over a million views, and Facebook clips from that TED talk have received over 21 million views. This is a conversation that you're not gonna wanna miss. Now that you know a little bit more about Judge Victoria Pratt, Let's get into the episode. First question I ask all my guests. It's such a buzzword. Everyone always says it. But Judge Pratt, what, what does it mean to you? What does the word authenticity mean to you? So thank you so much for having me on the show. And before I even answer your question, I, I need to say this. I am the daughter of an African-American garbage man who was born in New York, in Harlem, but spent his summers in the segregated South. My father never felt like he had the full rights of citizenship, not even after they signed the Civil Rights Act. Soy la hija de una peluquera dominicana que vino para este país para una vida mejor para sus hijos que aún no habían nacido. Now, I do that because it is how I present everywhere I go. And it is important that people understand that that is who the person is in front of them. Now, this is someone who's speaking to you now, who is who has accomplished a lot in her career. But it wasn't until that thing happened, until I really went in, that I was able to get those things done. 
So when you talk to me about authenticity, for me, authenticity is standing in this space where I bring my full self, my ideas, my experiences, my upbringing, my upbringing of being the fir a first generation, the child of a first generation immigrant and those values and the black is beautiful and the civil rights movement showing up in that space and knowing that that is who I am, that I drink deeply from a well that I did not dig so that I have committed myself to service, but that I serve because I have something to add. And so authenticity for me is that, is showing up. Um, I, I smile because I'm like, maybe I should have worn my hair out because I have my twist and I have my hair pulled back. But I'm like, yeah, yeah. this is an appropriate ponytail, right? And what it means for an Afro-Latina who just the other day was in an Uber and the guy is Dominican and he's as black as me. And he's like, right because that's a cultural issue and i'm smiling because i'm like well what am i supposed to have a tattoo that says that yeah, I speak yeah, spanish yeah. being able to understand what those things are um so authenticity is really showing up and bringing all your talents and gifts all of them and i have been known for um being in rooms and seeing particularly women and Latino women would do this as well. There'll be a room, we'll work on a project and everybody sits at the table. And so sometimes the women sit on the back and I, mm. I go and I nudge the woman. I'm like, you walk into a room, you sit at the table until somebody asks you to get up because the likelihood that somebody's going to ask you to get up is very slim. But you know as much about this project as the person who's yapping, who's talking about it right now. But that this, and then not just sitting at the table. I want you sitting at the table going, hold on, Hold on, Ms. Dolores has been living in this community for 20 years holding down the tax, the taxes for the whole community. And so when you start, so how is this policy going to impact her? So it's not just showing up and say, see me, it's showing up and let me tell you why I know about these things. So I began my career as an teacher i taught english as a second language at like i said so during the day oh I God, wait. yes wait let's not get into career yet wait, wait oh wait, i'm wait. sorry i'm sorry okay i'm sorry but <laughs> no i guess i say okay. that because so much of that is what i bring i bring all yeah. those experiences and so being authentic is that it's the fact that i make faces Ooh, when people say things that don't make sense or crazy Ooh, when i you know i'm doing q a and somebody says something i'm like Ooh, i don't think you should be doing that right and people laugh, but I'm like, that is my response to foolishness. And that is okay. And that is absolutely okay. That I say that there are words that I say, uh, you know, I might mention the folks I ain't never scared when I'm talking about something that I've been confronted with in my career. But that is the most powerful way for me to express that emotion. Yeah. And showing up authentically what I have learned allows people to come in and be authentic as well. It's interesting that even you in preparation for this, right? You're going to be on Zoom. You know, it was like a, a visual thing. Mm -hmm. You were even contemplating different hairstyles. You were like, I need to keep this. Did you say the word neat? I think. No, 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 no. I didn't Pulled say back, I said, you I, said. No, I said I was pulling it back. But in fact, I probably should have let it go in its natural, just all over mm -hmm. the place state. It's just that I was like, it still might be wet. So I just happened oh. to pull my two strand twist back. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, maybe if it had been dry, I would have just shown up as I show up in the world with my big hair and my big voice and my features and my big ideas. Yeah, it's interesting too. this idea of like your full self, though. Like, I wonder, like, was it easy for you growing up to be your full self? Like, what sort of expectations do you think your family had on you? Because I think all of our family have not only certain expectations, but they try to push us in a certain direction of like how they want us to be. Absolutely not. I grew up in a family where we, I was Afro-Latina, mm-hmm. uh, but there were people that were, we have all shades. My cousins are lighter, mm-hmm. straighter hair. And what mm-hmm. that meant for una negrita in the family, mm-hmm. what the expectations were, which weren't high, because mm-hmm. we have equated value and intelligence to skin complexion and hair. And then my father you know, came up in this black is beautiful and the civil rights movement. And so did these conflicting messages for me, right? And I, I'll tell you, I don't, I don't remember how old I was, but I saw Oprah. Oprah had just come on television and I was watching a show and she did a show on beauty because so much for women is connected to how people view you. And she did a show on beauty and the person, and she made an offhand comment. And the comment was, I knew I'd never be beautiful. So I decided that I would study hard and be smart. And it was as if the world had stopped because sometimes, you know, when you're you're getting a message and it was as if she spoke to me, it had never occurred to me that you didn't have to be born smart, but that you could study hard and be smart. And I went from being a CD student in school I went back to school, moved my chair, made the teachers teach me by sitting in the front and became an honor roll student for the rest of my career. Now, the reason that's important is because I didn't have a lot of um, people around me. My mother really did require excellence, but it was hard coming up in this space trying to look like this thing and not seeing, you know, little colored girls on music videos reinforcing that you were beautiful because, you know, it had to be that. And so when I became, when I graduated from college and I got into law school, I didn't get in immediately. Imagine that they didn't let me into law school. I went back every day to talk to that day. I'm like, you must not have seen my, my um, application well. But I remember going to one of my aunts to tell her and she began to bawl. And the reason she was bawling wasn't just because she was happy, was because she said, And that is going to be una negrita in the family that brings the license here. In her wildest dreams as a Afro-Latina, she couldn't imagine that that could happen. And so going into these spaces, um, knowing that being smart was more important than these other things gave me some kind of freedom. But I still was very self-conscious about How do I show up in this space where culturally I'm different and um, and racially, you know, also, um, I remember being a young attorney and I was raised, you call older people, Miss and Mr. And I'm looking at colleagues and I'm like, I can't call my my adversary, Mr. Dennis, you know, I can't do that. And having to (laughs) learn these spaces also going into these spaces and the people that I always spoke to were the service people, the people in the kitchen, the people who were related to me, right? And often having colleagues who were like, mm, why, is she, why is she so friendly with the cleaning lady? 
or why did and 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 those were cultural things for me mm-hmm. because I was taught that you know you treat everybody you meet with dignity and respect which for me was the most important lesson that I carried this idea of representation at an early age right like mm-hmm. see not seeing a lot of people that look like you on TV but then seeing that person like oh wow Oprah or even like Oprah talking about something like beauty and then you hearing this idea of academics being really important all of that though okay I need to study I need to go into academics you got but at least for me like I knew I I knew I had to go to college I knew I had to do certain things in order to be quote-unquote successful or advance in society but I didn't really know what to study though Mm -hmm. like why did you land on law or even wanted to go to law school? Oh, because at a very early age, I wanted to change the world and I could not be dissuaded that there was no way I could do it. Mm. And I remember being, uh, I wanted to teach English as a, not English as a second language. I wanted to be a tutor, a literacy volunteers. I lived in books. My mother, English was her second language, but she would take us to the library on Mondays. I remember Monday was the library day and we would devour books. So this idea that people couldn't read and what kind of a disadvantage that put them at. So I wanted to become a literacy volunteer. So I went to the in Newark, there was this agency and you had to do a training and the training happened to be at Rutgers Law School. And as I walked through the halls, you could see the pictures of the graduates from the fifties and sixties. And then there was a change when the minority student program came into existence and the minority student program at Rutgers came into existence because during the rebellions, people went to Rutgers and, was, and were like, we want people who look like us in this building. And so that was the um, Puerto Rican and Black coalition shifting politics and shifting things. And, and so again, when I say I drink deeply from a well that I did not dig, those folks weren't trying to go to law school, but they were creating a space for people like us to be able to have it as an opportunity. So almost reminded you of your dad a little bit, probably. Oh, absolutely. And so how do you pay this forward? So this idea that um, you had a right to be even in this space, and then you get into the space and you still have to fight in this space. So for me, what's been great about those, um, the, the what is that, the varsity blues cases yeah, yeah, yeah. that people of color, we've always known that folks have gotten in because of legacy and all kinds of other foolishness. And then they want to talk about us in these institutions when you've had every opportunity and every advantage and somebody still has to pay for you to get into this institution. And so um, belonging and having a right to be in these spaces for me was um, was still something I had to be challenged, I, I was challenged with. So um, showing up, and looking youthful um, and what that meant for me, but knowing that if I studied hard, if I did, and my absolute commitment to being of service and to ensuring that people got justice. So when I realized, I mean, you realize it when English is the second language in the home, how people would trick my mother when um, my father, who was also like had an eighth grade education and I would see how the system did things to him. I was like, oh, no, 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 we're gonna fix this and I can fix this. And um, I understand how daunting these systems and institutions are because they wanna dissuade folks from going to exercise their actual rights in them. So I just was kind of like this spitfire, like, oh, no, 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 we're gonna fix this. And as many people who are the first generation English speaking children know, you get yanked off the playground 
to go translate. And you, <laughs> you usually don't even know what you're translating. But my uncle's like, I better have a driver's license when this is done. <laughs> <laughs> or, That's... you know, right? Or go, no, no, no. You know, and so you got to show up and you're like, I was playing. I was on my Atari. And now you got to figure this stuff up. And not, you know, and sometimes the pre-internet, you didn't even have a way to figure out the word. So I think that for us, this idea that we have to serve because we went to school here and because it was required of us. Um, I tell you, I'm, I'm on the bench sometimes and I see children, who, and I say children, like 18 year olds who get into trouble. And I will ask a parent, did you send them back home for the summer so that they see the value of being here? Like there are things that they're supposed to experience as first generation immigrant. And, you know, maybe my mother used it because if you misbehave, I'm gonna send you to live with your aunt and the lights go out and I didn't wanna have to do that. But <laughs> this sense of service and commitment because that person who's standing next to you can't translate and can't speak. And so, but still feeling that and having to fit into this space that tells you constantly, you don't look right to be here. You don't speak right to be here. You don't eat right to be here, right? So you get a job and you bring food from home and yeah. what it smells like. And if you're thinking, and I, I used to worry about that. I used to think about that. Um, you haven't asked me the next question to get into like yeah. what happened, but those are things that, you know, we, we consume ourselves with, unfortunately, because it's just a system that constantly tells you you are not enough, which is a lie, which is an absolute lie. Right. Well, that, well, that's what I'm really curious about, because at a young age, you have to grow up really quickly, but you can all you can you can tell that you were just like very enthusiastic and eager to drive change. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think often when we go into these, some of these spaces, it seems like you're describing uh, kind of like a deflating feeling almost right. Like you walk in, maybe not a lot of people look like you. And then what maybe you're alluding to is like you experience some microaggressions or some uncomfortable situations. Like tell me about when you first started working, because <laughs> I'm sure when you first experience some of these things versus later in life, mm -hmm. you even know how to deal with them differently. Right. So tell me about like when you first started working, what do you remember looking around and seeing? Before we get into that, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Dancing crew, trip for two, nail the final interview. Game with Doug, brand new mug. Come here, kid, give me a hug. The more you want to do, the more we want to do. Boosters designed for COVID-19 variants are now available. If you've had your primary series, schedule an updated COVID-19 booster appointment as soon as you're eligible. Sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Gentueras is supported by First Republic Bank. Your hard work is paying off. That's why it's time to start working with a financial partner who will always have your back. At First Republic, you'll have access to your own personal banker who knows you by name and is prepared to support your financial needs. Learn how personalized banking can make a difference for you and your family at firstrepublic.com. Remember, FDIC equal housing lender. I'll share with this. I never use, I don't use the word microaggression because I don't think there's anything little about racism. Ooh. And there's nothing little about how I feel when someone 
behaves with bias towards me or racism. Mm -hmm. There's nothing small about it. It's this thing that you take with you. And in the middle of the humiliation, you have to make a decision, right? Because that's what mm -hmm. racism is. And that's what it makes you feel. It makes you feel the sense of humiliation and you haven't done anything. And in the midst of it, as an employer, as someone who's representing people, you have to make a decision as to how you respond so that it either doesn't hurt your client, it doesn't hurt your work, it doesn't hurt your position, right? As opposed to laying somebody out, which is not always the way to get somebody to hear you, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, if, so I'm mad at the word microaggression because it makes something that I take home with me that causes us to have high blood pressure, that causes us to suffer from anxiety when we work in these places because these small things, they're not small at all. They're not small at all for us. It's what you spend your time flipping around. And, what did I do? It's not you. And, and to not have someone to say, that's not you. That's their foolishness. It's not you. Is their foolishness. And how when you show up, I'll tell you my first, and I think this is maybe what you're experiencing. So um, lawyers tend to be terrible managers of people unless they have some leadership skills. And my first, my second job, I worked for the first African-American judge, but my second job was at the small insurance defense firm in New Jersey. And the frightening thing was that I was the first person of color to work there. Real bizarre to me. Did they but tell I, you that? Like, how did you find yeah, out? Yeah, because the employees are like, oh, snap. You know, they have, that's, they're like, wow, they got a black person. <laughs> so they tell you, they tell you, oh my God, and you speak Spanish? Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> and so the employees who are like the paralegals are like, this is shocking because this has never happened before. And this particular firm hired um, a white woman who must have never seen a black person and definitely not a black and Latina person. <laughs> and she didn't know what to do with herself. So she would come into the room and, and with people who have bias and who are racist, your presence makes them uncomfortable, not because there's something wrong with you, but because you are a mirror to them. Mm. So she'd come in the room and she'd say, oh, wow, you dress so nicely. And I would think, well, that's strange. Or we'd be having a conversation in the lunchroom and she would say, wow, you're so articulate. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, mm -hmm. curse word, I, oh, I went to college too, right? Because why are you surprised? I'm a lawyer, right? I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer. I went to college. Why are you so surprised about how I speak? But that's because her image of women who look like me mm -hmm. tells her that I'm not supposed to be this way. Ultimately, she couldn't resist and she told a joke at the office, at the um, at lunch with one of the mm -hmm. partners where she used, she told a joke where someone else used the N-word. Now, I have mm -hmm. to tell you that I knew that she thought that when she saw me, but I couldn't believe that she would tell this joke until I looked around and everyone's head was down. Now, again, all I was doing was eating my lunch and the partner took us out and he didn't address us. I went into her office and we had a conversation, right? We had a conversation wow. about. And so the problem is that people's inability and leadership to deal with these things as well. And so I constantly felt attacked when I saw her because she could not figure out how to convince me that she wasn't racist. She couldn't figure out how to convince me she wasn't because she was. But having to be subjected to her in the lunchroom, in the library, 
And still, like, she didn't get fired. She didn't get suspended. And what it meant to me live working in this space meant that I was not a part of, I clearly wasn't important enough in this space that someone would do something that would cause me to feel so uncomfortable in the workspace. And not just me, you know, the other people who felt mar yeah. marginalized, you know, and to not respond to it. And so those are the other things that I, you know, that may, that you're in this profession and I'm like, wow, I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer, you know, I have to sue this place. But <laughs> then as an attorney and a young attorney, I yeah. was worried. And some of my men, or one of my mentors was like, of oh, course. you don't want to get blacklisted. Now, I don't mm. know that I would give somebody that advice right now, but it was the advice that I got at the time. And that's what I lived with. And so, so did you did you tell anybody about that stories at the time? Like, who did you? Well, the partner was sitting at the table and he mm. called me in and he didn't even know how to have a conversation with me about how to handle this. And I spoke to her, but what did you say to her? And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of sensitivity has, so I ended up leaving the firm. Yeah. The problem with just leaving the firm was that they then hired someone who looked like me to replace me, put her in my office. And then right. she experienced similar things. Right. So I didn't create, like we didn't improve what was happening there. But mm -hmm. again, having to worry about performing, learning my job, trying cases, being a good attorney, and somebody else's racism, and mm -hmm. you know what kind of food you eat, and oh, and what did you do on the weekend? You don't, you know, and having to be a part of when your evaluation comes, how you are a part of this community that you feel excluded from. So I think um, when you say who you are, Kikuere and what's authenticity, it takes time to be that person. And I, I don't want people who are struggling at work, still trying to figure out how to be themselves to feel bad. It takes time. It takes time to kind of build that confidence. And sometimes it takes time to find an environment where you can do this and be like, it's okay. But it's important that you show up as you are. It is really important. I, I find it so fascinating, like, at, a, at, a, at so early in your career mm -hmm. that you already knew a lot of these things, because I didn't know a lot of those things, because I remember people used to tell me I was well-spoken, and I was like, thank you, you don't, you know, I've been, I've been working on my vocab, oh my god, this is, you know what I mean, like, I would, I, like, I would be, I'm like, oh, this is a compliment, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, it, it took me till later in life to understand, like, oh, you're surprised. Like it's not a, yeah. Like I think it's, I think in some ways it could be a compliment, but it's that surprise factor that you're talking about. It's like, oh, you didn't expect me to be able to formulate a sentence. You know what I mean? Like no. you expected me to just be like, "What's up, homies?" Like that's what you thought I was gonna walk in the meeting with. You know? Um. So I think that was like a. It was kind of like, even the pitch elevated. Like, oh my god, you're so well spoken. You know, it was just different. You know? Shocking. Um, shocking. Yeah. Shocking. Like you didn't go to, like, that's what I'm saying. You're yeah. in the same college class. What you're learning, I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it's fascinating too, because like even in early in my career, if I knew that it was surprising, I don't know if I would have had the audacity to schedule a meeting and have that conversation. And I think that that at an early age for you, I think speaks a lot to just like how how willing you are to just have such a, such a difficult conversation. I don't oh, think many people would have done that. 
oh, I'm sorry, Papa. I'm, I'm sorry if I gave you the misconception that I went in and scheduled a meeting to talk to the racist at my job. I didn't do that. I went into her office because we need to have, and I closed the door. Oh. <laughs> See, yeah. And sometimes people need that, right? So I love my forever first lady, Michelle Obama, but I don't always take her advice about going high when people go low. Sometimes I like to meet them right where they are. <laughs> yeah, right? Because the thing is, so this is, you are creating an environment that's gangster. Like, is that is that what we're doing? So then we need to have a private conversation. And I remember my mentor, I went to get language. And she said, the next time she says something racist, she, I want you to look at her and very calmly say, hmm, how would you feel every if I told jokes and the butt of the joke always was a severely obese white woman? Because that's what <laughs> she was. And when she, my, when my, my mentor told me that, I was like, wow, no curse words, but it was food for thought, right? Because what I'm saying is that you are insecure about this thing, so you're constantly deflecting. But what would happen if I did this, how would you feel? Because what I can't do is make you feel, um, I can't use race against you because we don't have any power to make, to use race against you, uh, you know, when, colonization took away our language to even properly curse people who oppressed us. That's what colonization does. It takes away your ability to find a word to hurt your oppressor as much as they can hurt you, right? And, and so maybe not hurting you in that way, but really getting you to think about these kinds of things. So I think for me a lot also, I ended up having to practice how I was going to respond to the craziness that kept happening and and like I tell you she would see me by myself and try to come convince me now I mean you know I've still been looking for <laughs> I've been looking for in a practice in New Jersey but the reality is is that I'm better equipped now I would go home and be angry and be stressed out and come back to work and wonder what type of racial terror I was going to be subjected again by this person and that is really what we experience you know this level of people constantly trying to figure out their own stuff and listen, stop talking to me about that. And it's okay. It's okay for your colleague to understand. Mm -mm, stop. Stop talking to me about that. I, mm -hmm. I'm not here to educate you about this and get back to work because the problem is, is that your blessings have your name on them. What you're supposed to get in life, what you're supposed to get out of that work is for you. And people can't take it from you, but they can distract you from it. Mm -hmm. And that's what these things are. They're distractions from getting the work done. They're distractions from shining. They're distractions from you transforming systems. They're distractions. And then they begin to chip at your confidence. So, you know. Um, I, I love that you said, like, chip at your confidence as well. Like, I'm, yes. I'm curious, like, you have a certain experience. And then mm -hmm. obviously, you go on to do other things. Yeah. How do you think that particular experience impacted the way you even wanted to show your authenticity maybe your next job you're like i'm not gonna tell people what i do on the weekend or anything about my personal life mm -hmm. until i get my first performance review i don't know like how did how did that impact yeah. you move forward and it did but i was fortunate enough that i went to another job where i was um again in the minority but the person that i worked with the woman was like one of my study buddies and mm -hmm. she was this yeah she was this amazing woman from the adirondacks and so she had not experienced race or her 
understanding of race was like, these are just folks. One day she stopped me. Um, someone had come in. We were working in the prosecutor's office and one of my a black friends had come in and um, I had been talking to her and I loved her. Like we were really close. My white girlfriend, my white study partner and my black girlfriend came in and I was like, girl, this, 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 this and that. And then when she left, I went back to talking to my white friend and she looked at me and she said, why do you change how you speak when you speak to me? <laughs> Before we get into that, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode of the Ginduetas podcast is sponsored by McDonald's. Since 1985, McDonald's has given over $33 million in scholarships. You can win one of 30 scholarships available and win a scholarship of up to $100,000. This year, McDonald's is giving away $500,000 in scholarships. Since 1985, Hased has helped aspiring Latino students achieve their dreams of going to college. But despite students' unwavering desire for progress, they still feel lost and powerless, making the need for support greater than ever. And that means it's time to hacer more. Students can apply to McDonald's Hacer National Scholarship and go further like Katia in Chazareta. To apply to the McDonald's Hacer National Scholarship, visit mcdonalds.com slash hacer. That is H-A-C-E-R. This episode of the Quintuetis podcast is sponsored by Coca-Cola. We are this far into the year already. Time has just flown by so quickly that I can't even keep up. And as we get into these later months of the year, a few things come to mind. I live in New York, so the drop in temperature is something that I've had to come to terms with. With the decrease in temperature brings an increase in layers. And the temperature changes, the leaves falling, all of that really reminds me that the holidays are coming. And for me, the holidays represent a time to reconnect with loved ones, with family, friends. Whether I'm celebrating the holidays in the Dominican Republic, or here in the United States, one thing has always remained present, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together. Enjoy the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with good friends and family, delicious food, and of course, ice-cold Coke. She said, your whole body language changes. I want to be your girl. <laughs> and I hadn't realized, like I hadn't, that I was cold switching and I loved her. I wasn't cold switching because I didn't want to embrace her. It was just when I saw her, muchacha, you know, it's my, it's, it's me screaming at my Latina sister and Muah, get the last screaming. And when I thought about it, I was like, she was like, I noticed not only do you do that with her, but it's wow, for me to really embrace you, I have, you have to be my sister girl too. And she needed that for me to really, so it was me too. It wasn't just her in this space. It was me responding still with this piece of um, protection. And so I laugh, I always think about that because then I stopped doing it. And so um, when I call my white girlfriends, my white sister, they're, they're my girls, you know, and you have to be that and you've got to be do or die when I bring you into that space as well. But it's that thing that you're saying, like, when do you, it had to be brought to my attention as well. And so I began to I feel love that example. comfortable. It was, I'll never forget it because she looked like she was going to cry. She oh. said, your whole body changes. I feel and like... I, Right? Yeah. Could you imagine that you think about what you yeah, do, how yeah. your shoulders change when you talk to your guys, when you talk to your boys? Yeah, yeah. 
and you might Listen. have go ahead i'm sorry no 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 i was gonna say it's interesting i feel like a lot like most people like they need to almost get like called out to realize their code switching like i just had an yes. episode where um it, it was a mother and she she said her kids knew what type of client she was meeting with depending on how she got dressed so her kids are like, oh, you're meeting with a finance guy today, right? Oh, oh, medical field today? Okay. Uh, oh, tech tech guy? Okay. That's and something. and um, the son even told his mom was like, mom, I, I don't I don't like the I don't like um, how you act when you're going to work. And then she was like, well, what do you mean? Well, and he was essentially saying like, if you need to change to if you need to change who you are to go to work, like. I don't think the people I work like this other person either. And the mom, wow. the the kid was even saying like, Do, should I change? Mm -hmm. Like, should I change who I am? And she was, he was like, mom, well, if you're changing to go meet up with people, like maybe I need to change who I am. It's kind of like- Wow, that's so powerful. Indirectly sending a signal that you need to change in order to be accepted within certain mm -hmm. groups of people, right? So that interesting point of like the son calling out the mom, the mom was like, oh shit, well, I need to, I need to stop. You know what I mean? And that was like her moment to like stop assimilating in her own way to wherever um, group she's being a part of. You know, it's interesting how my mother, uh, my mother, again, was very, uh, when they, my mother's primary language was Spanish when they commuted, when my, she and my father married. And I remember she said, my father, she, my father would leave her home and she'd answer the phone and he would come home and he was, she was like, oh, you got a phone call. And he was like, were they white or black? And at the time, I know why he was asking. And she was like, I don't know. And he was like, well, then no answer the phone. At the time, debt collectors were all white. Yeah. So if she's taking down these numbers, talking about call me back, he's like, I'm not calling that back. I owe the money. And so she had to figure out and he couldn't understand why she couldn't tell on the phone. And so she began, she had to begin to learn these things because my father would be upset if he called back a debt collector messing around with my mother answering the phone and taking messages, right? And so I, I, I realized that at a very early age, we learn to identify these things, you know, and what it means in your family when different people are communicating and how you respond to them. Um, and so... Did I always feel comfortable? Absolutely not. I remember being a young attorney and looking young and going into uh, depositions and we would be, they would be waiting. I'd come in and I'm like, I'm defense counsel. And we'd be waiting and waiting. And the secretary would pick up the phone and say, well, the stenographer's here, but we're waiting for defense counsel. And I'm like, didn't I just tell this chick I was defense counsel? Mm -hmm. You know, the stenographer is, I don't know where the stenographer is, but that's not me. So I decided that, well, maybe I'm not going to look so feminine. I'm not going to look so feminine. So I'm going to wear all pantsuits so people don't see me as a girl. How were you dressed previously? I'd wear skirt suits mm. in my, you know, how I would. And then I said, I'm just going to dress in pantsuits because that's going to give, it's going to be more powerful and people won't see me. And then I realized how silly it was, right? Because the other part of this is that when you, not cold switch, but when you hide that part of you, you're also giving up your power. Yeah. And there's power. I believe that we have feminine and masculine energy, everybody. And mm -hmm. to suffocate, to suppress my feminine energy means that I can't show up in my fullness. And yeah. so 
how do I, when do I feel most comfortable being myself? All the time. And did it always start out that way? No. But when it really shifted was when I went to interview, when I, I turned, <laughs> right before I turned 30. Y para ustedes que están calculando, for those of you who are calculating, that was like three years ago. Anyway, <laughs> and I was Notice. looking at myself, right? Because right before that 30th birthday, you start to try to figure out who am I? Mm -hmm. And I looked at myself in the mirror, just naked, because I was like, I got to be comfortable with everything God has given me. And when I looked at my hair, I said, I'm not. I feel like I'm perpetrating a fraud. I feel mm -hmm. like for me, and not that you mm -hmm. shouldn't have straight hair, but I, for me, felt like I was saying something about myself that I didn't want to say. I had hair down to my back. My mother's a Dominican beautician, so you know she could lay down some perm. <laughs> and you know, you know I was lie you know <laughs> all day but i had always wanted to get rid of my perm and and i looked in the mirror and when i asked myself why don't you cut your perm out the answer was because i'm worried about what people would say mm -hmm. and if that's the answer i can't have them and so i grew my perm out and not without problems in my family not without opinions about who I was supposed to be and how, you know, that straight hair softened my look and how could I, all of those things, all of those mm -hmm. things. I remember, but it was when I did that, it was the most freeing thing to me in the world because I had to be happy with me. Yeah. And I remember going to interview at the governor's office and my mother said, and I was wearing this Afro puff and my mother was like, so I know you're going to straighten your hair. And I was like, no, because I'm not going to lie to the governor. When I show up, I'm going to be wearing my Afro puff. So I'm not going to show up to the interview looking differently. And I put my hand on 10 Bibles and tell you, when I was sitting in the governor's office, waiting for the person to, call, to be called for the interview, I heard, Victoria, oh my God, I love your hair. Someone was screaming it from behind. Yeah. And it was a woman I had gone to high school with who had pulled my um, who had pulled my resume out of the pack. And I wow. laughed because I was like, had I not shown up authentically as who I was, I wouldn't have had, you know, we started this interview talking about how cool it was that I was rocking this Afro puff and that my hair was yeah, great. Yeah. You know, she didn't have any issues with that. Everyone always talks about diversity and inclusion, right? And they're always like, well, we need... We need more black people in office. We need more Latinos. We need more Latinas. We need more women. And I'm just like, what's the point of bringing more people in if all they're going to see is y'all faking it? Like mm -hmm. the signals is, so if you go back to the data, right? 76% of Latinos suppress parts of their identities at work. If I'm a new employee and I walk into your organization and let's say I want to rock a, a Afro, mm -hmm. since you're talking about hair, let's just say I want to rock braids, right? I don't see anybody. I see a lot of people in the office that look like me, but no one in the office has braids, right? The signal for me is like, oh, I got to cut my hair. I'm not allowed to wear braids here because no one else is doing it, right? But if everyone else is wearing braids, the signal is like, oh, shit, I could do that here. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So we got to take the first step in being that representation that either we want to see in the office or that we wish we had when we were younger. I think you're in such an interesting position because you're creating representation in this like very traditional... <laughs> Old, industry field old school old white um, male 
Yeah, but not only for yourself, because, right? Because you talk on on so many topics about the, even the 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 judicial system, right? And that is mm-hmm. when people think of the judicial system as well. People think of like Black and Latino population, right? So mm-hmm. you're also helping to redefine what life, even like after prison, looks like. Like, what are the opportunities available for this population as well? Like, when you think of representation, not only for yourself but also this population, like what what are some of the things that come to mind? Do you, do you bear a sense of responsibility? Of Absolutely. I mean, people, I I practice this thing called procedural justice is the power, it's in my book, The Power of Dignity, and this idea of what it means to understand processes. You know, people come into our system and they're facing consequences that might impact their money, their relationships, and their liberty, and what it means to have access to justice and understand. And so many of my colleagues in the justice system don't think that it's their responsibility to make sure that people understand but it requires you to slow down sometimes it's "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yes 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 and then I ask a trick question and I'm like you need a translator and why that's important and why that's allowing a person to maintain their dignity when they come to the justice system it's why I jump on the young man who's a resident a resident and when he's involved in these low-level offenses that can get him to I start talking to them, what you going to do when they deport you back to the Dominican Republic? You didn't even graduate from high school. That's why I'm going to put you in this program and you're going to go get a high school diploma. That's why I have to be able to speak about these things. That's why it's important that people understand why I know that when the police stop young black men, some, they, they lower their gaze oftentimes. And it's not because they're trying to be disrespectful. It's what happens is, is this history of, of, of what happens to people in their communities and their relationships with police. And so if I'm not talking about these things, then who is? And also pointing out spaces for my colleagues who don't believe they have implicit biases why they have implicit biases. I mean, I tell stories about how there was an implicit bias in my courtroom for um, white women who were arrested outside of the downtown area and that it was perpetuated by the police and white prosecutors. Mi gente, what's up? It's me again. In this point of the conversation, we actually had some unfortunate technical difficulties, but Judge Pratt was able to rejoin the conversation and leave us with these closing remarks. I do have one thing I want to end with. Um, What inspires me to be my authentic self? Showing up that the magic comes. It's in your gifting your mission work, when you show up as you should, as the daughter of whoever you are, I am Miss Elsie's daughter, when you show up with those lessons and all those life experiences that you have, good or bad, because God wastes nothing in your life. God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the people that he calls to do his work. That is when the magic happens. That is when the transformations happen. That's when you see a shift in the world. That's when you help people. That's when the service is done. When you show up and people can hear, wow, that was my experience too. And look at how high this person has gotten. Look at their business has been successful and they had a similar background to me. So I just want people to just keep trying to show up as authentically as possible and interrupt conversations. Ah, let me tell you why that doesn't work. That is why it doesn't work and why you're at the table. And even if you're not at the table, I'm going to butt in at the table and tell you why you shouldn't be doing that. I love that. Thank you so much.
Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Quintuetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you. I see you next week.